The Holy Gospel according to Luke chapter 21. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the seas and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The psalm that would have been read today is Psalm 25. I'm going to read that for you really quickly. Um, It's just the first ten verses after I pick up my mask. Okay. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Another advent dawns full of uncertainty. The world feels entirely new and yet at the same time exhaustingly familiar. Like an old refrain, we are all getting tired of singing and hearing. It seems we are potentially facing yet another new coronavirus strain called Omicron, Omicron, which may be even more contagious than Delta, they say. And we think, oh, this again. Random acts of violence resurging, such as that terrible accident in Waukesha at the holiday parade, and we think, oh, this again? Draconian 
state-level anti-abortion measures are emerging to intimidate healthcare workers and women and to micromanage women's bodies. Are we back to this again? These attacks stem almost exclusively from conservative Christian camps, particularly those that hide their white privilege, patriarchy, and supremacy behind evangelical grammar. Yeah, about that last thing. This feels like a record skipping in time, all the way back to Roe versus Wade in 73, but how can the imaginative church avoid getting stuck, skipping in time like a broken record, where women's bodies are governed by men, and where this patriarchal structure is often reflected in the church? How do we move beyond this image and language of an exclusively male God, flexing his muscles in order to intimidate the vulnerable rather than gathering them together safely as a hen does her chicks, which is biblical language used by Jesus in Matthew. Advent begs us to reimagine God beyond such exploitative and predatory images of an accusing and masculine God ruling from some distant heaven with white hair, flowing beard, and a pointing finger. As we journey toward Christmas and amid chronic instability, our calling to be fully human begs us to fully affirm the breaking God of justice as mother. This may be new language and new imagery to some, but it is perhaps the thing that makes the most sense of all when we consider the fullness of God. We in the church are capable and able to reimagine God Indeed, we must if we are to grow and be relevant in an ever-changing world. For parents who are here today, we listen to our children differently as they grow, as they change. We are forced to see them differently, even if it makes us uncomfortable. But in the end, there is always new learning, and that is a miracle and a thing to celebrate even as we grow and change with them. As God and God's love expands and grows, God beckons the church to do likewise, to look at God and church in new ways, and to wonder at the expansive fullness of God. The psalmist today that you just heard when I read Psalm 25 says, Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. The original words used here for steadfast love in Hebrew are hesed, and mercy is rechem, broken, unbroken themes throughout the Hebrew Bible. Hesed refers to the ever-present love of God, uniquely bent in the direction of human beings. Rechem calls to mind the concept of the womb. Here, the psalmist in Psalm 25 invokes God's womb compassion imagining the eternal love that a mother possesses for her children, acknowledging that this isn't always true in human relationships between mothers and children. The idea here is that between God and her children, that love is unbreakable, eternal, and unconditional. While this female language for God might be new to some of our ears, it is far from new imagery in the Bible. In Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach, which is a feminine word. 
This means the breath of God that hovers over the waters at creation is feminine. It means the breath that fills Adam and Eve and all living creatures and animates our bodies and continues to do so today is feminine. It means that the Holy Spirit that descends on Jesus at his baptism is feminine, bending down to kiss her son's forehead at his baptism, just as I did with each of my sons. In the Trinity of God, accurate descriptive language is Father, Son, and Holy Mother. Why has the church suppressed the female motherly dimension of God for so long? What threat could this possibly pose? It it threatens ones who have held power the longest, I suppose, historically, men who have controlled the church through fear. But God is not some product to hoard or property to monopolize or favor to dish out according to compliance to a strict moral code. The fullness of God who comes to us this season and is made manifest to the entire world does not require our defending, our protection, or even our explanation. Nothing is required on our part, in fact. However, awe and wonder and amazement might be a few natural reactions to this love poured out upon creation by Mother God and Father God. You see, Advent isn't just a human journey through darkness into the light of the Christmas season with God looking on safely and remotely as if watching a sporting event on a big screen TV comfortably from afar. Advent is God walking with us through some very dark and shadowy places in our lives and in the world, places where death dwells. In my former parish, I held an annual service this time of year for those for whom the season holds no joy, ones who have lost loved ones or children, ones who have had miscarriages or abortions, ones who cannot conceive, ones who hear the birth narrative of Jesus differently, ones who find themselves standing outside of the nativity story, yet ones whom Jesus certainly would have invited inside. Advent bravely embraces the darkness of the world, even as we anticipate light and cling to hope. In fact, it's imperative that the hopeful church reimagine this language of Advent and Christmas as we tell tales and cast visions which many of us were raised with and yet are still rather disturbing. If we seek to define healthy relationships between humans and between humans and God, And if we truly identify females as equals to males, embracing all gender identifications in between, we must look at these stories in a new way. For example, the Advent and Christmas season hinges on the story of Mary submitting herself to God's will in order to become impregnated as a young and single mother. We must reimagine the traditional role of God as exclusively father in this story. Otherwise, the only conclusion is that this is a story of unconsensual submission of a young girl to a father figure. Is that the point of the incarnation? Or is it that God, father, and mother invites Mary into a sacred role of birthing their son? in a surrogate and sacred role interceding between heaven and earth. In this image, God's will is executed beautifully. 
not violently, mutually, not oppressively. Mary acting as a powerful agent with voice rather than a powerless and voiceless object. The stories of the Christmas season include the equally difficult murder of infants as Herod goes on his bloody rampage in an effort to kill the baby Jesus. Do we ignore this text in a quest to naively believe that all is calm and all is bright for all people and ignore the fact that infanticide and genocide continued even after the birth of Christ and still do today? And that God still celebrating the birth of God's own son, now has to deal with the spilled blood of other baby boys. God, father and mother, grieves and aches as creation contracts and writhes and tears. Beyond the stories of this season, as we move into Lent later on, God, as you know, orders the deaths of the firstborn Egyptians as well as the drowning of the entire Egyptian army while Moses leads his people to safety. And these are but two biblical examples where we're forced to confront a God who is quite familiar with life and death decisions, a God who walks with humans through times when blood spills and hearts break, a God whose womb laments bloodshed and division. The goal here is not at all to be a Debbie Downer regarding Advent and Christmas, but rather to issue a reminder that not everybody hears the stories of our faith in the same way. And some responsibility lies on the church to recast these stories in a more radically inclusive way, learning from biblical precedent and acknowledging that Father and Mother God are already present in whatever valleys we might venture into especially valleys where life and death decisions are made. We cannot pretend that a God with a womb does not understand the complexity of life and death decisions. The creating womb of God aches when life ends. And while Miriam sang triumphantly when the entire Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea, God surely wept, even though it was God's decision to wipe them out. Let's not for a minute think that the Egyptians cheered when their soldier sons and fathers and husbands drowned, or that they danced when their firstborn sons were killed at Passover. Let us not for a minute think that the Egyptians loved their children any less than the Israelites did, or we do. Father God and Mother God celebrate and grieve as life is gained and lost. They rejoice when their son is born and they mourn when he is executed. It is Advent, the dawning of a new church year. We are moving towards the birth of Christ, the inexplicable miracle of God becoming human. We are preparing to embrace this incarnation, something no doctrine could ever contain. Time to step aside. Time to let God shine, time to see God in a new way. In the agony and in the ecstasy of creation, God is present. Advent is about birthing hope when there appears to be none. Our church does not deny that death exists. We don't pretend that people are not sexual creatures or that some decisions are agonizing to make, but we do acknowledge that life is messy and we also believe that life comes from death. 
While attempts are made to temporarily micromanage human wombs, God's womb will not be micromanaged. God will walk among us in human sweat and blood and tears. God will be present when and where life and death decisions are made. God will remain steadfast when everything seems different and yet seems to remain the same. In the life and in the death, God is there. In the birthing and in the dying, God is there. In the weal and in the woe, God is there. And now a hard shift. It's been a long time since I brought you greetings from LCM and reported on how we are doing and have been doing through this pa pandemic thus far. I have a few words to share, and I've got two students who are going to bravely say a few words to you today about LCM. Speaking of recasting visions and seeing things in a new way, it is also time for LCM to see itself in a new way. Five years ago, this is what we dreamed LCM would look like without the pandemic. LCM is growing. It is thriving. However, due to COVID and other factors within the greater church, LCM is in urgent need of financial support due to decreasing funding streams. The good news is we have outgrown our funding. So like every other organization since the pandemic began, we are having to shift our model and look at things differently. We now have students assisting financial oversight, students helping with fundraising. We are in a new beautiful space. Thank you again filled with lots of new students. We are creating a new model of how to continue to grow and thrive, but we need your help. Trust me when I assure you that LCM engages many issues of life and death, issues of complex ethics, morality, and do we see God in all of it? In the past year and a half, students have shifted to online worship when we had to, games as well, fellowship as well. Since resuming in-person activities, students have held a prom coming dance for ones who didn't get prom or homecoming due to COVID. That was a lot of fun. They've invited guest speakers, sponsored service projects, hosted Thanksgiving dinner. Currently, they are working on their Christmas service project, which is assisting Lutheran services in Iowa with welcome kits for refugee families settling in Iowa. LCM remains a resolute partner to the Emma Goldman Clinic and Reconciling in Christ. With you as our spiritual and financial partners, we will continue to reimagine our model of campus ministry, and we are assured that our future is bright as we move forward in the grace of Mother, Father God, and in the peace of Christ.